everyone. Welcome back to Exile on Bad Street. Excuse me, Exile on Bad Street. I'm sorry. Cover the cover. <laughs> it's, been, one. it's been too long since we've done one of these. Because the last time me and Rob did a show together, it was Exile on Bad Street. But now it's cover to cover and we're back. And uh, I'm Chris Zellner. Joined as always by my co-host on these shows, Rob Naylor. And Rob, yes, it's been two months since we've done a magazine show. And first I'll ask, how are you doing? I'm delightful. I uh, I won a trivia contest. I don't know if you heard about this on Clash of the Champions. <laughs> it was the greatest moment of my wrestling life, and I'm not going to let anyone ever live it down. <laughs> hey, you, hey, you won it. You you won it fair. That fair. was the equivalent of like Mike Boyett beating Steve <laughs> Doctor Death Williams. It was unbelievable. Jeff O'Day will live forever in Infamy a podcast. So right. Yeah, I mean you 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 uh you got it fair and square and you deserve the victory and you got one, Bix has got one, so I'm doing it next time. So we'll see what happens on the five star match game in the third meeting of uh of us and see what happens there. But that's down the line, that's a whole nother show, whole nother podcast network. But we are here and we are going to discuss a uh interesting time period in professional wrestling. One one of the greatest years in professional wrestling, but we're going to be going to the beginning of that year, as we're discussing the May 1989 issue of Inside Wrestling Magazine. Okay, surprise. All right. From the publishers of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. All right, so our cover story is an amazing picture of Hulk Hogan, which has the headline, Hulk Hogan admits, I love Elizabeth. He's holding a picture of Elizabeth. Well, it's transposed in between his hands. He's got this insane look on his face. And up under the picture of Elizabeth, it says, in very small print, asterisk, like a sister. I have this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm picturing his face right now. Yes, yes. This will definitely be uh, used in, on Twitter, believe me. Uh, other headlines. Sting. I took all the fight out of Ric Flair. So there's that. And then we have Rick Morton. Too bad the fans don't understand. Then Mm. Rick Rick Steiner. Wrestling's new Dusty Rhodes. And Terry Taylor dumps the weasel and the (coughs) rooster. Good Lord. Unbelievable. What a lineup of stories. Yes, absolutely. All right. So we begin with, uh, we have Sincerely Yours where we have the letters that uh, get sent in to the, uh, the magazines. And uh, there's some interesting letters here. First off, um, let's read this about The Real Midnights. I'm writing this letter in response to a cover story in March 1989 issue, Collision Course. Wrestling isn't big enough for two Midnight Express teams. In this battle, Harley side with Paulie Dangerously and the original and only Midnight Express, Randy Rose and Dennis Condry. They're the first model. Jim Cornette's version is merely a copy with no regard for history. When Paul Lee and the real Midnight Express blitzkrieg Cornette and the phonies, it was destiny. The truth always destroys a lie. Cornette's Express are living a lie. Paul Lee and the real Express must destroy this terrible lie and assume the rightful title is the only Midnight Express. The hourglass is rapidly running out of sand for Cornette. Signed, Arthur Risk Jr., Mount Clemens, Michigan. Hmm. Poor Norvell Austin. I never got a, a name check on this shit. Well, Norvell Austin is like, he faded 
off the face of the earth. I mean, when he was done with wrestling, he was done. I mean, you, I don't. But wasn't he just with the Jive Tones a year earlier? No, that was Tiger Conway Jr. and Shaq. Jesus Christmas! <laughs> oh man! All right, so like, what the hell? So Norvell Austin. Nor who was when did Norvell Austin leave wrestling? Nineteen eighty-five then. Yes, early 86. His, uh, he was in Continental. He was feuding with Adrian Street. It was him and Lady Maxine against Adrian Street and Linda. And then he, when he was gone from Continental, he was done. See, there's your memory and knowledge of all this again. I, I didn't remember much at all about Norvell Austin, hence the Tiger Conway confusion. Because, like, Tiger Conway, Dr. Tom always would tell me about Dr. Uh, Tiger Conway, but I always just remembered him from the Jive Tones, which I'm sure was not his peak in wrestling. Oh, no, but, no, no, no. Yeah, he was a bigger yeah. star in Texas, yeah. Sure. And, like, Norvell was more of a Tennessee, Southeastern guy, correct? Uh, mainly Memphis, yeah, that, that whole area. Yeah, Memphis, Knoxville, Alabama, yeah. All right, man, yeah, learning something new as always. I watched the 1989... Uh, Southeastern the other day, my book, my friend. Oh, you watched the Continental? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt I, I have fallen into a a dearth of nineteen eighty five to nineteen eighty nine wrestling of late, and I am loving all of it. Oh, this. that's my that's uh, my sweet spot, brother. I love it. That's my yeah. that, that is my sweet spot. Yeah, it's a blast, man. I, I really like Doctor Tom, Doctor Tom's all over that Continental too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. With his Rowdy Piper interviews. And, 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 <laughs> Uh, it's a trip, man. I'm enjoying it. I, I hadn't seen that much to be honest. So like, I, I I'm obviously we we as kids we follow it from the magazines. That's how we did things. So it's uh, yeah, kind of cool to catch up on it. You know, thirty years later and check into it all. But Absolutely. it's a it's a trip, man. Some of the shit like just people getting hung. Like same thing with Memphis. <laughs> I watched the angle where Tommy Rich got hung by someone i think well maybe it wasn't even tommy Rich. dirty roads no no oh that too but uh jimmy jack funk hung jeff jarrett, jeff jarrett. Like, yes he gave him tree of woe put a noose around his neck and pulled from all the way across it was the craziest thing i've ever seen <laughs> like when jeff jarrett does this podcast we someone's got to send that question <laughs> and like you and your studio wrestling yeah. I'm in. I'm back. <laughs> me good helmet, yeah, me and Good Helmet, we watched some of this stuff with like studio wrestling, and it's just like, wow, I was really wrong. Like I I unfairly <laughs> maligned and talked shit on studio wrestling, but when you have the young girls and the high pitched voices and the heavy angles with blood and juice and weapons, man, those screeches really they up the drama of the television show. So Absolutely. I'm in now. Awesome, awesome. And uh, tie it around, uh, the, your opinion on the Express feud at this time? Sad, man. It's just sad. It, it was probably the most exciting angle they had in quite some time. Like, even as a kid, the interloper outsider coming in and attacking. Uh, Midnight's turning good. Uh, and then they turned good basically with Tully and Arm, but they cemented it here. The angle where they then dropped the belts to the Road Warriors, <coughs> you know, it's it's all good. But then, as is often told by Cornette and anyone else who will listen, the uh, Booker's changed and Dusty left and uh, Jim Crockett came in and then Jim Crockett was kind of out and George Scott came in and they all just fucked it all up. There was no more heat. They gave them 20-minute draws to do on house shows to cool shit off. And then Dennis claims 
that they never told Dennis that there was going to be a loser leave town match. And Dennis claimed that they like Dennis. I watched a bunch of shoot interviews after Bobby passed. And Dennis comes across as a little bit uh, less than forthright, we'll say. And it's like, I'm sure it would have been discussed, but Dennis didn't even remember the bookers changed. Yeah, like, cause like, I, I'm thinking like when Dusty brought him in, Dusty said to Cornette, Hey, look, this guy fucked us. Is it cool? We bring him back in. I'm talking to you. And then like, Jim's like, it's cool. Bring him in. It's good business. And then Condry just left again. And then the other rumor was that Rose was supposed to lose the match. And Condry wasn't even going to lose in a loser leave town match. But like, who knows what the real answer is? Because everyone has a different story on all that. But I loved Condry. I liked Randy Rose well enough. I liked him in the AWA. I thought it was a cool jump. But it was sags. It was one of those. 10 out of 10 angles that led to absolutely nothing. It's like the angle where uh, – random correlation here. But it's like the angle where Sabu turned on Rob Van Dam and Rob Van Dam and Mike uh, – Sabu and Mike uh, – Sabu and Mike Awesome beat the fuck out of Rob Van Dam and yeah. Spike Dudley to hopefully lead to that tag or like maybe RVD and Masato Tanaka. But then homeboy breaks his ankle, Sabu gets fired, and nothing ever comes of it. So yeah. it's one of those sad things in wrestling where the the excitement that you have is at its peak, and then god dang it, it just gets pulled away, not not in a good way, and it never materializes later. So yeah, <clears throat> that's my long winded thought on the express. <laughs> but right, the angle in the studio was great. Oh, never you can't take that away from it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right, we have another leather here in one agreement. I believe all federations, major and minor, should adopt the disqualification regulation that currently exists only in world class. Getting disqualified is nothing more than a simple way for a champion to get the match over with quickly. It's unjustifiable for champions to conduct themselves in this ridiculous manner. They become negligent in the ring and also acquire a bad reputation. Grapplers who truly possess toughness and skill need not resort to taking the easy way out. I feel the wrestlers in world class are some of the toughest in the business because of disqualification rule. The NWA, the AWA, and WF would be able to boast the same if they had this regulation in effect. Signed, Diane Seals of Jinx, Oklahoma. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, world class did that rule where if you, you get DQ'd, you lose your title and stuff like that because they had all those flair title matches that they would do DQ finishes on so the Vonairs wouldn't do clean jobs, but they put the heat on, on flair and the NWA and it was interesting. What, what are your thoughts on, on that type of rule where if you're in a title match, you have a DQ, then you, you lose a title in DQ. When I was a kid, I loved it. And even as a little kid, I noticed that, when I was reading the arena reports in the magazines, all of Ric Flair's matches usually ended in DQs on house shows. And it just wasn't cool to me. Although I can't recall who won the belt. Did, like, who won the belt in world class by via DQ? Like, I'm not even... I can't even think of any. Uh, uh, I don't think they... If they did, I don't remember it. Yeah, like, if you're going to enact that rule, you, you have to make me something. Like, exactly. I remember Black Bart beat... Chris Adams in a Phantom match, maybe. Yes, yes. And then Kevin beat Black Bart, and then I think Al Perez beat Kevin, if I'm not mistaken. You're then, right. You're, you're, in, you're, you're right. Al Perez loses to Kerry, and then Kerry loses to Iceman. Look at that shit. Wow, I, there you go. Boom. Yeah. And I, I never even watched it. I, I That's all just from the magazines, but now I've watched it in hindsight. But uh, yeah, you know, I would just make the rule mean something, and then, then, it, then it's a little better. But I, I like the idea for the rule. 
And, and a side conversation, as you know, you always get with me. You, you, they use the word federations in the magazines. What did you refer to them as as a kid? Um, as a kid, um, I just like um, I say like groups. I would say group or or so. Or, or I would just say WF or in, or or you know NWA or stuff like that. Because like. It was always federations in the magazines. Yes. But I heard leagues, yeah, organizations. Leagues. Yeah. Uh, God, what else did they call them? Outfits. That's a real <laughs> like a southern one kind of. Yeah, now we're going to go to that outfit. But uh, th- there's a whole bunch of territories. I never heard the word Promotion. territory too much. Promotion is a great one. Promotion is what I probably would use the most nowadays. Yeah. And that's the one I didn't even think of until you said it. Uh, uh, t- today, yeah. today I would use ter- – I would probably say territory. The, yeah, the and Memphis leagues, territory. leagues is always a funny one. Yeah, it is. Like leagues. <laughs> Conglomerates or something. Because, like, no one ever said associations, despite the fact it was, what, the American Wrestling Association yep. and then yeah, or, 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 National Wrestling Alliance. The alliances. So, yeah. that, that, that world-class alliance. or the, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it takes me back to what, uh, they when Dutch got asked in a shoot interview, like, He's like, what was the name of it? What was it? What was it called anyway? I think it was just wrestling. Like, what was <laughs> they didn't call it Memphis. They didn't call it CWA until maybe a little later. You know what they called it on TV? It's just championship wrestling. Championship wrestling. Yeah, but I, I did think that was funny when when Dutch broached that topic. They certainly didn't fucking call it Mid Southern, Chris. <laughs> No, they did not. Although, although it was funny when you would have like the the wrestlers that would come in from outside. And refer to that because of the magazine. The Mid-Southern Region. Yeah, because like when we were kids, Mid-South and Mid-Southern. Scott Hall did that. I watched, uh, I think, Scott Hall's debut promo in, in Memphis in like 88. And he called that, I'm just glad to be in the Mid-Southern area. <laughs> yeah, because like, Chris, I'm not, I recently drove through all this shit. But like, the difference between the Mid-South and Mid-Southern, in, in real human life, there's not a fucking difference, right? <laughs> Well, te- technically, I mean, Memphis is considered Mid-South. Hell, the Mid-South Coliseum. Sure. But they could yeah. call it Mid-South Wrestling because there was Mid-South Wrestling. <laughs> so, in the Watts territory. So, it is the Mid-South. They just couldn't use that. They couldn't use that name. Did you know until fucking literally recently, and I'm going to bury myself geographically, geographically on this one, but... Driving through Memphis, seeing the pyramid, and then going right to West Memphis, Arkansas, right across the river, I was blown away. I'm like, no fucking wonder Sid always worked for Memphis every time he was on his ass and like <laughs> trying to get back someplace. I always just figured, wow, he must be really good pals with Lala. Well, no, he's right there. Like West Memphis are, and it's it's in the fucking name, Chris. That's how dull I am. Like I I never assumed <laughs> that West Memphis, Arkansas, was right fucking next to like Memphis. Yeah, you know, it it, it clearly is, folks. So in case y'all didn't know, now you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. be new idiot. But uh, yeah. So there you go, mid south, mid southern, continental. Yeah. That was your that was your your territories. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got some really good letters in this section. A golden touch. If J.J. Dillon's looking for a replacement for Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, I think he should consider Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden. Ooh. They would make a perfect addition to the Horsemen. They're cut from the same mold as Tully and Arn, no-nonsense wrestlers who bl- blend science and rule-breaking and have much experience as a tag team. Fuller and Golden are a much better team than people give them credit for. Remember, they dominated the tag team scene in the Continental area, 
for over a year. There's another one, Area. I can't think of a better combination for the Horsemen. Signed, Shelley Lambert, Edmond, Oklahoma. It's a good letter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fake as hell. All these are fake as hell. But, I mean, it's fun to are think they? about. Oh, yeah. I, are you think that Shelley Lambert would, would have said rule-breaking? You know what? I, I, but I think I I know people who've had letters in. I know, I know there are real ones. I, I, but but some of them, <laughs> you, you, the ones you could, I mean, the one we just read from uh, Diane, which mentioned grapplers, you know, yeah. I mean, some of the wording... I mean, I know they're real letters from because of real people, but I don't like, know. Is, maybe it's a WWE thing where like you you have a letter and then after's like say it like this, you just change it. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> you know what? That that makes perfect sense. Could be like we don't know, that, but well, yeah. maybe it's the lexicon or terminology. See, this is why I'd love to talk to Stu Sachs and get like the the real dirt on shit like this like Eddie Elner or somebody yeah, I, yeah. I I I trust you and I know I trust your judgment for sure but I always thought they were all real but maybe they're not It just sounds <laughs> it, I mean it could it could have been a real letter but it's it's juiced up it's been in hand And also you'll notice and it lends credit to what you're saying they do always try to like maybe there's nothing at all in Continental in the magazine, but maybe they get a throw a bone to Ron Fuller and be like, yeah, well maybe we'll mention them in the letter section. You know, what I mean? so that that makes sense too. Well, this time Fuller and Gold are in Memphis. Or there you go in Memphis. And Fuller's, but, Fuller's booking, but yeah, I mean that would it would have been interesting to see Robert Fuller and Jimmy Gold in in, in, the, in the Crockett promotions at some point it, in time. Well, it would have just been fucking nice if they gave a shit and kept the Horsemen around. Now, honestly, them disbanding the horseman led to one of my favorite summers of all time. So, like, I'm foot and mouth here. But, like, it was so deflating because I even watched a recent promo where, like, Barry and Flair, when the Warriors turned, are so excited being like, the Road Warriors and Barry and Flair as the new horsemen, the Road Warriors. And I'm like, whoa, I don't remember this that well. And I'm like, shit, they're kind of big time teasing it. And then, like, it turned into like Butch Reed and Kendall Windham, which sucked. But it, and then their Yamazaki Corporation, it, it wasn't good. But the idea even of a, a Fuller and, and Golden would have been sick, you know? Like, why not? Yeah, why not? Been th- Gary Stubbs and Tony Anthony, for Christ's sake. There, yeah. there was a lot of cool mid level heel teams that if you're going to throw them in for Arn and Tully, you could have fucking pulled that off. Yeah. Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, Think man. about it. You never yeah, know. Yeah. Oh, you'll love this one. Lose it, Dusty. Dusty Rose, American Dream. Maybe so if you spend all your night dreaming about cherry pie, triple layer cakes, southern fried <laughs> oh, no. Southern fried chicken, and other fattening foods. The real truth is that Dusty is the male answer to the circus fat lady. Jesus. The, those layers of fat make him look more like a hog being taken to slaughter than a professional wrestler. Don't get me wrong. I've always loved and admired Dusty's great ability within the squared circle. I'm just saying what female wrestling fans have been thinking for years. Dusty, please lose some of the fat. I recently saw Dusty's son, Dustin, and thought how nice looking he is. Dusty was was once just as handsome. In fact, I once thought Dusty was the sexiest man in the world of sports. That includes not only wrestling, but football, baseball, and basketball. Those eye, those eyes were the most brilliant I've seen. A girl Jeez. a girl could drown in the emotion they contain. But the fat has ruined all that potential. 
Come on, Dusty. Give us girls a thrill. We aren't asking you to become a beanpole. If that extra weight was converted to muscle, you wouldn't have to work so hard to keep up your stamina. Lose a few pounds and you'll be healthier, happier, and sexier. With Dustin at your side, you could become the world's sexiest tag team. <laughs> Signed, Patty LaRue of August, Alaska. <laughs> All right, you're right. There's no fucking way that's a real thing. And what a rib it is for after to, or whomever to write that letter, bashing Dusty. But yeah, holy shit. Wow, that was brutal. All of it was brutal, though. Like, it was such a heavy heel letter, and then it went back to how... You want to drown in his fucking eyes, tears, or whatever? <laughs> and like, like what in the world? It's insane. That's an insane fucking letter that they wrote. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't like that. And when I was a kid, God bless me. I didn't judge. I'm like, hey, Dusty's the man. Everyone likes him. I don't give a shit if he's chubby or not. You know. And he did real good. And, and it's like, one time I was <laughs> walking with my sister outside in the yard. And I'm just talking about Dusty Rhodes is going to beat Ric Flair. And this guy, like, seven yards up goes, no, he's not. Dusty's a fat slob. And Hulk <laughs> the man. And I'm like, who are you? And it's like this 20-year-old guy. And I'm like eight or whatever. And I'm just like, nuh-uh. And he's like, uh-huh. And then, like, I just ran back inside scared. But, like, even back then, I just think, like, there was a demographic of the casual wrestling audience that watched WWF that would look at someone like Dusty and just be like, look at him. You know, he looks like shit. That's why, like, I liked when Dusty be like, I don't look like the athlete of the day, you know, and that, that, that's all we needed. If, say, folks, you thought that people were, were mean and nasty these days, it was like that in 1989 to... Mm-hmm. This would be 1989 mm-hmm. equivalent of a Twitter thread. <laughs> oh, well, God, me and... I was talking with somebody else the other day about Truly Tasteless Jokes, the book that we all got as kids. And there was, like, challenger jokes and AIDS jokes oh, and, God. like... Ethiopia uh, jokes, I'm sure. Disability jokes. Yeah! And it was... As a kid, it's fucking hilarious. And now you're like, Jesus, we all should have been put somewhere. Like, <laughs> horrible. But, like, it was it was just a different time. I know that usually leads to people getting fucked. Just no, destroyed. but it's true. But like, it's, it's the there's truth. a truth it's to it, you know? Truth. It was different. But it, everything was just so much more carefree. And there was just, like, rougher exterior, tougher exteriors is all I'm going to say. And trust me, I'm a little delicate one now. But, like, at the time, when you're a kid, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <clears throat> and we got one more letter here. This is an interesting one. Dreams and Schemes. I consider myself one of the biggest professional wrestling fans of the Midwest. I feel I can speak for a lot of fans. I'd like to make just a few comments. The NWA is easily the best federation in wrestling. There's that word again. Needs to expand, though. They need to come to places like Omaha, Des Moines, and Kansas City more often. So the fans can see some of the better competition in the circus of dogs, birds, snakes, and brother loves we get stuck with in the WWF. World class, the AWA and CWA should be commended for breaking the unwritten rule. They have successfully completed an inter-federation card, Super Clash 3. Maybe someday the fans will get their wish and see a tournament with Ric Flair, Randy Savage, Jerry Lawler, and Kerry Von Erich, or whoever the big four are, to unify a real-world title. See, everybody, everybody talks about that forbidden door. It was it broke that down in 1988, folks. And and then there's this, as an alternative... Yeah, but no one made any money. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, too. As, as an alternative pay-per-view TV, one of the big federations should hook up with HBO or Showtime so more fans can see their big shows. And then titles. WF needs an Intercontinental Tag Title and Junior Heavyweight Title. The NWA, they need to lose some titles, like the Florida and Western State Heritage Title. Signed, oh, Andy Seeley, Milford, Nebraska. 
Yeah, there's some good stuff there. Uh, I, I always thought that somebody should have hooked up with HBO or Showtime to run like a special monthly show on like the times where you're not having pay-per-views. That would have oh, made some sense. That was our dream. We just wanted one company to get on a major outlet. Even back then, or Japanese wrestling on on ESPN two or, or New Japan, whatever it was, you just got so excited when it was even uttered, and you read it in a magazine, even when there was no truth to it. You were just excited at the prospect of it, and then like it never, never really happened. Like ECW on Showtime or Cinemax in like the mid nineties was like so exciting, and of course it was never even close to possibly being a thought, but. No, you know, or even on Prism in local Philly area, oh, right. like a specialty show on Prism where they let the fucks and the risque material fly. That would have been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Speaking of Stu Sachs, we have editor's notebook, editor chief Stu Sachs. <coughs> if someone out there has Jerry Lawler figured out, please drop me a line. He is the most complex, inconsistent, paradoxical personality in the sport. For all his mysteries, Lawler is no fool. He's been around long enough to know the political pressures he would face by holding both the AWA World Class titles. Fact is, unification matches are not made to unify titles. They're made to put fannies in seats. The AWA World Class uh, cooperated for the Super Clash 3, pay-per-view on December 13th. And a match of this magnitude was, of course, necessary. But if you can get inside the heads of the respective Federation leaders, Federation, they would have been happy to see the match end in some controversy, with both champions returning home with their belts. The match did end the controversy, but in this case, Lawler was the sole beneficiary. The minute he walked away with both championship belts, though, he should have sensed the trouble ahead. Both World Class and the AWA could not do without a champion for long. If Lawler was smart, and damn it he is, he would have made both federations agree on a plan for how he would defend his unified title in both areas. Instead, he forced the AWA's hand by skipping seven scheduled title defenses. I couldn't be in two places at one time, was his explanation. Surely, if the political pressure split the titles, Lawler must have realized that he could have been stripped for missing even one defense. Now he's up with a world-class title. For how long? Who knows? And what he still calls his unified title. The first of which we'll continue to recognize. The second of which is about as real as Rick Steiner's friend Alex. Yeah, wow. that whole thing with the, with the unified titles is definitely interesting because... I mean, they wanted him to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to defend the title against uh, Don Morocco. And Lawler sorry, I'm not going there. I'm going to be in Dallas that night, working for World Class, defending their title. And Vern got pissy, and you know, that's when they stripped him of the title. But a lot of this, too, probably you know stems from Super Clash 3, where, where people didn't get paid, like we were talking about a while ago. What is your take on this whole confusing situation? was exciting as a fan is frustrating as fuck now looking back on it logistically and all the mistakes that were made uh kevin was never featured on awa or if he was not often carrie was barely on awa like they needed to have all the wrestlers centralized at all the company's major tv tapings and they needed to get all the companies together and plan out when the all the biggest names would be in one place at one time for that big tv taping that would have helped a lot. Back when the Renegade Rampage TV tapings took place, I was so excited. They had the Loud Memphis Ring, good acoustics. They had the SST working on shows. They had, you know, Ray Odyssey, Bad Company. You know, uh, Jeff Jarrett, first time I saw him on TV was around that time. 
that was cool because I read about him in the magazines. It was it was just a cool time, but like it seemed like every territory still just was doing its own thing, and every territory without the specialty of having the outsiders kind of sucked. Like the AWA without all the bells and whistles wasn't that great. World class was on a decline. And then Memphis was Memphis, so Memphis was going to be okay because they, they were used to the chaos. But ultimately, it just bit everyone in the ass. Yep, absolutely. All right, on the road with Craig Peters. What a difference a year makes. A look at the May 1988 issue of Inside Wrestling reveals the following. Kurt Henning was the NWA World Champion last year. Now he's wrestling WF. Tully Blanchard were the NWA World Tag Team Champions last year. Now they're wrestling in WF. The Midnight Rockers were the AWA World Tag Team Champions last year. Now they're simply known as the Rockers, and they're wrestling WWF. The Sheep Herders were the number three contenders to the NWA World Tag Title last year. Now known as the Bushwhackers, they're wrestling WWF. The Wool and the Barbarian were the number four contenders to the World Tag Titles in the NWA version last year. Now they're wrestling in the WWF. You get the idea? Stars have been flocking to the WWF like the moths to the proverbial flame. Other rivals in the WF in 1988 included Ronnie Garvin, The Big Boss Man, Bad News Brown, Terry Taylor, and managing the powers of pain ever so briefly was Baron Von Raschke. Instead, the flow of talent into the WF in 1988 resembled nothing so much as a tidal wave, but now it seems that the tide may be turning. Magnificent Morocco recently left WF for the Stampede area. He captured their North American title shortly after his arrival there. British Bulldogs recently left WF also for the Stampede area. They captured their national tag t- team belts shortly after their arrival there. Chuck Yardall recently left the WWF. He's not competing in the NWA. Kent Patera recently left the WWF. He's wrestling independently in Minneapolis. Butch Reed recently left the WWF. He's not wrestling in the NWA. Consider also that Bam Bam Bigelow left the WWF to wrestling in the NWA. Michael Hayes recently left World Class wrestling in the NWA. And that Ricky Steamboat, most recently on top WWF draw, made his return to the NWA. I think we're beginning to see the first inklings of what will become in terms of talent acquisition a very dramatic 1989. There are two major factors that work in the recent shift of talent away from WF. One, wrestlers such as Bigelow, Patera, Morocco, and the Bulldogs are getting to tire being lost in the shuffle and left to flounder without recognition and showing without title shots in the massive WF talent pool. And wrestlers such as JYD, Reed, Steamboat, and Hayes are beginning to realize the NWA is an attractive alternative to WF's competition, particularly with the wide open possibilities suggested by Ted Turner's involvement in the Federation. Turner's a winner. I'm a winner. And we belong together, said Free Michael Hayes. Look, wrestling is a kind of sport where you travel from place to place a lot anyway, and I've done a lot there is to do in world class. It's time for me to move on and head back to Atlanta. The Ted Turner's hometown, the Bastion USA, it's like a homecoming for me, brother. See what's going on right now? It's exciting, Hayes continued. You got a lot of movement to the NWA because it's happening, man. It's where the action is. It's where the top stars are. And where it's any and it's where any athlete, where any man's looking to really test himself. Where he wants to be. Believe me, brother, you ain't seen the last of the changes in the NWA. 1989 is going to be a hell breaking loose. Good time, brother. It's all up for grabs, and I'm grabbing all I can. The NWA situation becomes even more interesting now that Dusty Rhodes is left to compete in Florida. The next few months see a mad scramble the NWA as established contenders vie for title shots and sheer recognition with hot newcomers. Like Hayes said, 1989 is going to be a hell breaking loose time. I think he's right. You know, it is amazing to look at the massive shift in talent from 88 to 89. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. You know, the time, we got these last 20 years 
We got so complacent with d- these people that just stay in WWE and stay in WWE and stay in WWE that, you know, the people that were fans in the 80s and even in the 90s when guys would bounce around <laughs> from here and there, I mean, that's what keeps them fresh. They People need to get away and go do different things. 70s, too. Yes, of course. I mean, you could always come back. But the days that the, the days of people just hanging around and standing like the same spot for ten to fifteen to twenty years, I mean, good lord, that is that time needs to end. And even worse, like <laughs> I say, this is someone that was in developmental system, but like the developmental system in its own way, especially post two thousand eleven and twelve, made it impossible for anyone to really make a shocking debut as a character. Because everybody would have already been seen. Yeah. And even when everybody's already been seen and they change them and put them in Detroit demolition outfits, it's like <laughs> it just doesn't fly. Like you need – the idea that anyone could show up at any time was one of the really fun things that spurned the Monday Night War. <clears throat> and there were people locked under contracts then too. But at the same time, you know, back in the 80s, my god. You get asked to put someone over and you're, if you're unprofessional and say no, you, you're the hottest thing in the next territory. You know, it's just a different time. Now you get blackballed and oh my God, they're not professional. And da, 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 I'm not going to buy a ticket to see that. No one gave a shit back in the 80s, you know? Like, well, the thing, the thing uh, is, the thing, the difference. And, and this is a fucked up thing to say, but people could get like convictions for doing bad shit and show up someplace else and get a huge box. The difference. It, it was just so different. The difference like, between now and then is that, that, that you know, what's regarding the fans, wise, we all know this, is the fact that you have this this big subset of fans that are extremely loyal to a promotion. I mean, whether it's WWE, AEW, whatever. And then we had that back then, too, with like ECW. I mean, we had that. But the internet wasn't around back then, too, like it is now. And it's more out there in your face and everybody's you know, talks a lot of shit and all this other stuff. So it's totally different now than it was then, you know. I mean, could you imagine, you know, when you had all this back-and-forth movement back then, like your pro-WF fans and your pro-NWA fans going at it. That didn't happen. Nobody cared. Nobody cared like that. Oh, okay, so this they're going here now. Okay. Yeah, you say, maybe you know, Arn and Tully, you're like, yeah, I don't like them here. But still, I mean, it's something different. And then, you, you know, you all, they all, like I said, they always could come back. And they and Arn did, and Tully almost did. So It's, it's funny because Morocco was mentioned. Fucking yeah. hey, Morocco was in WWF for so damn long that by the time he finally left, there was some interest, but not the interest you'd think of a magnificent Morocco jumping. <laughs> Well, I mean, he was like the Stampede run was fine, but then it wasn't like Dusty took him, or it wasn't like back in the day. Once you were used up, sometimes promotions just don't want to use you, you know. Whereas now, I think when people are way used up, they still can go someplace else and get a massive pop just because it's a newness of like, wow, someone just jumped. We don't see that often. Like Morocco, by the way, you see, have you heard the podcast? The The Morocco podcast? Uh uh. The Morocco podcast is the greatest thing in wrestling. Like I listen to the Morocco podcast on YouTube like a million times. There is little tidbits of he talks about everybody and tells stories. And then he does, uh, you know, hour and a half long podcasts on like Dynamite or oh, Fuji. Yeah. Yeah. 
It is the best thing ever. It's got a cool British, I, I, I think, British uh, host. And they're just like talking picture to picture. And Morocco is amazing. I love Morocco. I've loved every Morocco shoot I ever met. He's a great storyteller. Oh, he's the best. He's just a cool guy. And like he he's just cool, man. He keeps it real. And he's laid back. He's got that Hawaiian surfer laid back thing where it's just, it's comforting to listen to him. Even when he talks about like bad shit, you're just like, oh God. He's like, yeah, and then Fuji fed that them their dog. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, Lee. But like, I-, I love Morocco and it's a great podcast. So definitely check it out, Chris, because oh, I brought okay. him up and I immediately thought about how I've heard the magnificent Morocco's voice more than even my my uh, immediate families more in the last month because I just <laughs> listen to this thing all the time. So Wow. <clears throat> All right, so we go to Names Making News with Bill After, and we're going to have more on the Jerry Lawler thing. The king has been dethroned. On January 20th, Jerry Lawler stripped the AWA world title by Federation officials for missing seven mandatory title defenses. But that's not the end of this sad tale. Lawler has also been banned for life from the AWA. Not appearing for the title defense is an unconscionable offense, AWA President Stanley Blackburn said. Mr. Lawler was the world champion here in the AWA, and it simply not appear cast a negative light both on Mr. Lawler and the American Wrestling Association. It's also a disservice to the fans who spend money for tickets. Lawler, however, denied any wrongdoing. I can't be at three places at once, Lawler said. The CWA wants me, World Class wants me, AWA wants me. I'm only one man. I had to pick my priorities. If AWA will set the title away from me, fine. That's not really much I can do about it. If you ask me, I think they were just looking for a way to take, take it from me anyway. That change, however, appears unfounded. That charge, excuse me. Only 10 days earlier, Dutch Mantel apparently defeated Lawler for the, both the AWA and World Class belts. But AWA, CWA, and World Class officials ruled that special guest referee Rick Morton officiated improperly. Both belts were returned to Lawler. While Lawler took the loss of the AWA belt lightly, he was incensed by his lifetime banishment. That means I can't enter a title tournament and get my belt back, and I can't go after the world title again. Lawler said, think about what that means. They're affecting my livelihood. Believe me, there's a good chance this is going to go to litigation. Lawler still claims to be a unified title holder, won the AWA belt from Kurt Henning on May 9th, 1988. World class title from Karen Von Eric on December 13th, 1988. As a press time, he's still receiving recognition as the world class champion. Litigation. <laughs> oh, man. I'll say this. Funny. As I said earlier, Memphis had so much better creative for this whole tribunal wrestling Pangea thing that was going on. Like the Ricky Morton heel referee thing. There was just a lot of cool shit happening. Or even in the magazines when you couldn't see any of it, you just knew Memphis sounded more exciting. Well, then Lawler you know, gets on TV and he cuts a promo about this whole thing, you know, to lays it all out, tells a story of what's going on here. And I mean, he puts it all out there, you know, I mean, basically out as a shoot on television. Of why yeah. he, the AWA is stripping with the title and stuff. So, interesting. But, I mean... Out of the three belts, what one did you like the best? The physical title belt? The AWA belt, the CWA belt, or did you Oh, like the AWA title. AWA. I'm tricky with it, because I think I would have said AWA back in the day, but I kind of like the CWA belt, too. It was nice. It was nice. But, yeah. Alright, so let's continue with other topics here. The World Wrestling Council Puerto Rico title last held by Hercules Ayala has been declared vacant. 
I held also lose the town match to Carlos Colon, so a tournament will be held to determine a new champion. Jason the Terrible is after Colon's WWC Universal title. Puerto Rico is a, a fun promotion at this time as well in 1989, so everybody go check that out. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. So. Yeah, Ayala looked like a real star in pictures. Oh, yeah, he had that, that, uh, that gray streak in his hair. Which yeah, really and he's just different. like a big, compact, jack, sturdy-looking fucking dude. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, and he was involved with drug cartels. Yeah, because he was the one that I never knew what he looked like, and then when I finally saw a picture, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you know? And he was involved with drug cartels as a heavy, so there you go. Uh, is he really? He was, was he? yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Is he dead? Oh, uh, is he dead now? Let me see. I know he was in prison. Uh, Yeah, he died last year. January 22, 2020. 69. Man, I'll tell you what. When I was in Orlando, I had a friend who knew a friend who knew Chicky Star really well. And God dang it, that's the interview, man. Or at least that's the go buy him a beer and sit in a pub and listen to the fucking war stories. He speaks English. Yeah, because the, the Puerto Rico, man. You want to talk about everyone getting upset over shit happening in wrestling these days? Jesus Christmas, Puerto Rico, man. Yeah, imagine the, imagine the Bruce of Brody murder in social media world. Yeah, but like the that that was something very public that we all talk about, but the shit that's private. Like you just telling me Hercules Ayala's involved with drug cartels. I, and like I didn't even blink. I'm like, all right, makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's it's insane. Yeah. And my one friend would say how Abdul the Butcher would go to this like brothel called the Black Angus, and I'm like, oh no. Like, I don't even want to think about those kind of things. Like, what is happening? <laughs> no, thank you. But then Steve Strong, Steve the Sawbow's a maniac. There's just so many crazy, insane people. Like the Bobby Jagger shoot interview. Yeah. I will I watched or we watched the Bobby Jagger shoot for the first time a while ago and I didn't even realize Bobby Jaggers was done in 1989. I thought he was lying again, but he was. He just quit wrestling after Puerto Rico. He did a couple shots for the Dreams promotion, and then he worked a couple dark matches for WWF, did a job for the Rockers, and then just hung it up. Mm -hmm. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. All right. Joe Malenko, son of the great Boris Malenko, won the PWF Junior title for Masafuchi on January 20th, but lost it five days later to Mighty NOA. Yeah, this 1989 is the year that the Malenkos break out in all Japan. Joe, you know, gets the junior title. Him and Dean have, you know, some great tag matches. Yeah, they looked awesome in 1989. Mighty Inoue. Love me some Malenkos. Great stuff. The biggest season in the NWA concerns world champion Ric Flair is firing a manager, J.J. Dillon. Now it's been learned that Hiro Matsuda is on the verge of buying Flair's contract. Matsuda claims he's rich enough to buy out Ted Turner if he wanted to, and intends to build up an army of wrestlers. Matsuda, of course, originally trained Lex Luger in Florida during 1985-1986. By the way, Flair and the Road Warriors scheduled for a tour of Japan early March. The Warriors will team with Tenuganichiro and defend their NWA six-man titles. Flair will defend his title against Jumbo Sharuda, or Jumbo Tsuotarto, and <laughs> Tenru, which he doesn't make that tour because he's not the champion. So, there's that, but... Yes, J.J. Dillon leads the WF. Hiro Matsuda takes over as Flair's manager. Um, 
I will always remember Hero more for his 1987 NWA run and not his 1989. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he just stood there like a statue, basically. But, I mean, what what, what were your thoughts on that, the, the transition from J.J. to Hiro Matsuda? I thought that uh, January, January 1989 to April 1989 was one of the worst – the absolute dog shit worst sub beefcake Hogan and boss man going to WCW in the nineties garbage wrestling of all time. <laughs> even with Steamboat and Flair, even with Luger and Wyndham, it was the worst fucking television anyone's ever seen. I cannot stand it. The dark arenas, the bland presentation, bringing back old used up Butch Reed, Iron Sheik, way past his prime. Uh, the Blackmailer, 18 different fucking Jack victories, Bob Superbad <laughs> Bradley in a main event on a fucking major show. The, enti- the entire thing can fuck all the way off. Like even bringing in Muda, he was still kind of boring before like uh, <clears throat> he did the Steve Dane match. He did some cool shit. But like thank God the summertime hit. He had the cool music, the bigger presentation. They brought in the the uh, Dragon Shy matches. They brought in the uh, – the hard O torture matches where you'd have to beat three people in a row and, and within 10 minutes. But like, oh my God, in case it doesn't come through, Chris, I just could not fucking stand the entire fiasco with George Scott. I, I just yeah, couldn't it, stand it. Was it. Not good. it was not good. So thank God, uh, for, thank God for Kevin Sullivan and Andy Gilbert. Yeah, man. Because at least, at least like Dungeon of Doom in the summer of 1995 until that horrific Starcade with Hogan and Beefcake. At least there was a Dust Invader match. Like there, there, to me, there's so few redeemable qualities because Flair and Steamboat was great. Don't get me wrong, Flair and Steamboat was dynamite, but the angle sucked. It did the reverse. It got Flair cheered and Steamboat booed. Yeah, exactly. like the match was great. The matches were great, but no, nah, man, I'm just not a fan. And then they bungled the fucking Road Warriors. How do you bungle the Road Warriors? The heel turn. They screwed all that up? Oh, Fans man, didn't just, want to boo them. They didn't want to boo the Road Warriors. This wasn't good. I'm going to send you my documentary. I, uh, <laughs> I made a documentary that no one will ever see. But it's uh, video clips and, and, and house attendance. And I rebuke. I, 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 I have a rebuttal to all of that. Because I do feel that the Roadies could have been booed. but They could, we'll, they could have. But it just not the way they were done. You're right. Yeah, because they were awesome. The Road Warriors were vicious. They bite. They choke. They would be underhanded. They used the spike. They they were so fucking good as heels that it's just sad that it didn't get more time to materialize because they were excellent. Two of the biggest men in wrestling, Andre and John, Big John Studd are on the verge of a gigantic feud. During an interview with Lord Alfred Hayes, Andre and Studd got into an argument. A series of matches was immediately signed. There's a good chance... He's seven foot five, four ninety seven pound Andre. We meet the six foot ten, three hundred sixty four pound stud at WrestleMania five. Well, that doesn't happen, thank God. But Big John Stud returning after being gone for close to three years here in nineteen eighty nine. Well, over two years as a baby face. What 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 did you think about that as a as a ten uh, year old kid? Well, it was a unique time in life. I mean. <laughs> I don't know, man. That that was another circumstance that I just remember. As a kid, everything this year was was interesting to me, you know. Yeah, heel, uh, heel Andre and Bayface Big John Stud. Just 
Very weird. Well, they came to my town, and it was cool. But I, the Big John Stud, as a baby face, it was a unique thing. He looked the part. He won the Royal Rumble. And I guess the matches sucked. <laughs> I, I never rewatched Babyface versus Heel Andre. I have my opinion on what I would think. But I'll say this. The magazine showed those still photos of Stud picking up Akeem like he weighed 10 pounds. And it was so impressive. Yeah, I remember, damn, Big John Stud against Akeem. I would go see that. And then he lifts him up like he's a, like he's a Nick Bockwinkle or something. Just ch- chucks him. Yeah. Oh. But then that never materialized either. No. Florida champion Mike Graham is braced for an all-out assault on his title by former world-class champion Al Perez. Perez recently at the NWA for the express purpose of dethroning Graham. Perez's young brother, uh, younger brother, Lou Perez, is a top rookie in the Florida Championship <laughs> wrestling area. Dusty Rhodes also returns to the area where he first embraced the American dream. If Perez can win the title from Graham, look for a thrilling Rhodes-Perez war. It may still be winter, but Florida is heating up. Fuck yeah, PWF. Oh yeah, I I, I like PWF. It's fun. It's different, you know. And it, it was just like a like a throwback to the you know to a old territory days. I found it online, but was not able to obtain it. I know that YouTube has all of it, but I just kind of want to have it all saved too. But I love PWF. I would even go so far. And everyone's like, oh, he's a dusty homer. I will go so far as to say that PWF was like a top five wrestling promotion in 1989. That's how much I liked it. It was excellent. All the characters were great. The in-ring talent was superb. The young talent was great. Uh, The big steel man was an imposing figure. Dick Slater's a good hand. Dusty was dusty. He felt revitalized. Dustin and Terry Funk were involved. DDP and Gordon as the, the announcers. The presentation of the show, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow showing up, the Nasty Boys in the house. There was a lot of real fun stuff on that show. <clears throat> commandos. The Commandos were great. J- uh, Jimmy Del Rey's Jomo Kenya. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you. I-, I can't wait to rewatch all of it again because I – it was one of those things I certainly never saw until maybe the last five years, but I, it certainly lived up to how exciting it looked in the magazines. And it only lasted four or five months, but like it was cool. I, I enjoyed well, what Dust, they did. Dusty only lasted that long. The promotion lasted way longer than that. <laughs> See, I didn't even realize that. Once Dusty left, I didn't even think it existed anymore. Yeah, it, yeah I, I just remember when Dusty left, it was all over. But I well, it, 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 became, it became Steve Kern Championship Wrestling when Dusty left, so... Yeah, because, like, Kern and I had talked about it a little bit. And, like, I don't even think Kern understand understood the difference between CWF and PWF. Like, he, I, 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 in my brain, who wasn't there at the time, I just see it as a distinct separation. What well, is? A brand new, fresh thing. He just sees it as Florida wrestling still, which I completely understand. Because, like, it, for anyone who's been down there that length of time, that's exactly what it was. Well, they but, taped it. They taped it at the Sportatorium, the TV. They went through yeah. the old buildings. So yeah, it was it was it was an extension of it, but it definitely was not the same thing. That's for sure. But it was always interesting because there I am in a room constantly with Stephen Dream, and I don't know. I think the Dream kind of screwed him over on that one. Because if I'm not uh, mistaken, yes. I think Gordon, Gordon, Gordon screwed him because Gordon was Did part o- Gordon was part owner. And he left for uh, NWA. 
out of nowhere. Wow. See, that's so funny because we had the big picture of the dream of Gordon right above my head in the office. And I know Dusty always spoke real well of Gordon, but I also know well, that, that relationship they, had its ups and downs. They both left at the same around the same time. So, yeah, that's the thing. It was a double shot. Because that was around the time Gordon uh, ran into someone who I met in Florida. And uh, the guy's like, oh, yeah, well, me and Gordon, we came up with this uh, wrestling board game. And I'm like, get the fuck. I knew immediately what he meant. And I'm like, what? And he told me all these Gordon stories. And basically they were the uh, was it champions of the gals. Some kind of board game for wrestling. Yeah, it came out in 88. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So around the same time, but I just remember being like, "Wow, that's a real cool person to meet." Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, it was all in the magazines, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, what a trip. But yeah, see, I didn't even know Gordon part owned it. Mm-hmm. All right, I guess some Stampede news here. Former British Commonwealth yeah. Champion Gama Singh is back in Stampede to pursue uh, the new champion Chris Benoit, and Lito Larry Cameron has issued a challenge to Stampede North America Champion Don Morocco. I'm going to take a bet that Don Morocco never took a pile driver off the side. <laughs> Just no, saying. No, but he did wrestle Larry Cameron. I can only imagine how that went. <laughs> Two big old dudes are going at it. So Absolutely. And that was Morocco, and he was still fighting fit. <laughs> yep. Uh, Scott Armstrong has been frustrated his attempts to win the Atlantic Coast Junior Heavyweight title from Nelson Royal. That's Nelson Royals promotion, Atlantic Coast Wrestling, another new startup in 1989. Yeah, where Jimmy Garvin went. That's right. They had some TV for a little bit until uh, they lost their talent. <laughs> Man, it was also it was also interesting to have like the guys that had been job guys on Crockett TV for the past couple of years in that promotion being pushed as you know credible guys, or you're supposed to think of them that way. What do you think about that? When you have these guys that have been job guys for so long and now they're in this smaller promotion being pushed as basically almost main event guys. Outside of Jimmy and Nelson Royal, I really didn't pay attention to it. But in 1992, when they did the same thing again, was it PWF or something? Another PWF, I guess. But like they did something again and it was all those guys. I just was like, wow, a wimpy match promotion. Like this is fucking <laughs> He's like, this is my dream, you know? Oh, you would would love that. I mean, guys like, you know, Tommy Angel and Colt Steele and uh, Larry Stevens and Stallion, Stallion, the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. Like David Isley. Yeah, it was the craziest thing for me. I was like, dude, it's a Wimpy Max promotion. And I'm like, I hope there's like an invasion and SD Jones and Mike Stark Starry with Tipperary. Like that's Brian Costello. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my Cowboy brain. Chris Duffy. That's my brain as a twelve year old in nineteen ninety two or fourteen year old even. Jesus, I was even older, but I still had that dream of like, oh my God, the wimpy matches, then the AWA wimpies will come and you know <laughs> Tony Gannard, Tony Leone. Yeah, Rick Gannon, Tony Leone and Tom Rocky Stone are gonna Chris Curtis. Yeah, it's it's fun. Like I wish all the territories had a subterritory of all their wimpies just battling each other. <laughs> It'd be fucking awesome, right? Mike Jackson is the king of the wimpies. <laughs> See, now you're speaking my language, Chris. That's oh, it'd, be, it'd been amazing, absolutely. <laughs> Roddy Piper continues to make news in Portland. The grappler and Buddy Rose recently stole the Pacific Northwest tag belts from Steve Dahl and Scott Peterson, aka the Southern Rockers. Then, during an interview, they attacked Peterson, whose left arm was in a sling. 
But Piper, who up the rockers, won the belts from the grappler and Abuda Dean, where he is spelled here. Get ready for it. A B U G H D A D I E N. See, that's Ab- why I can't. Abadooba Davia. Rand grows and grapple out of the interview area, grab the belts, and return them to the rifle owners. Piper, however, denies that returning the ring is in the works. I have no intention of ever wrestling again, Piper said. Um, I'm just there to help out a couple of friends. Um, besides, anybody who's seen me all these years knows I'm not that much of a spectator. Yeah, I mean, it, Piper and... Uh, in Portland, in this area, this is, you know, he's on his WF break, but he's he's booking the territory. It's him and Lynn Denton is booking, so that's why he's he's out here. And for the yeah, if you, if if you don't know this, when you if you're watching eighty eight, late eighty eight, and early to mid eighty nine, Portland, and all the crazy shit going on there, that's Piper and Lynn Denton, mainly Piper. Lynn was his book assistant. And revitalized that territory. I mean, that territory was down. Yeah, I I lied earlier that uh, basically I I would like to say that I was wrong earlier and PWF isn't top five, it's top six because fucking Portland's in there too. (laughs) Portland in 89 was so fucking fun to read about and then when I actually got to see some of it too, I would love like a perfect quality of that era. I don't know if it exists, but like Scotty the Body, John Nord, Roddy Piper, The Grappler, Top Gun they got over, you know, Beetlejuice, Art Bar. You had... uh, Carl Styles. yeah, uh, Carl Styles was unbelievable as a Rick Steiner baby. Billy Jack, Al Jack Rill was such a douchebag. Like there was so many good characters. Scotty the Body, Nor the Barbarian, Veronica. You had such a good soap opera esque uh, uh, atmosphere, and it was in that little bowling arena. Like the heat was, the energy in that place was just unbelievable. You know that what a what a time, man! Great thing to bring up. Good show. That, yeah. That's a good memory. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go. Where are they now? Uh, Inside Wrestling always did that. Mil Mascaras reports that Mascaras retired from the sport during Central Mexico in January or false, according to the former IWA champion. Legendary man of a thousand masks tells us he still wrestles regularly in his native country, and he was soon toward Japan and possibly South Africa. A popular movie actor, Mascaras recently starred in two new Spanish language movies he also produced and directed. Hmm. And he still wrestles today <laughs> on occasion. That's insane to think about. Yeah, he's he's 80 or he's 80. Yes, I, I cage matched him the other day to see how old and what his last match was. And he's yeah. up there. Yeah, insane. Nikita Koloff. Chitolata. Koloff left the NWA to spend more time with his wife, Mandy, who's suffering from Hodgkin's disease. Koloff will spend much of his time close to his home in North Carolina, attending to Koloff's Fortress of Fitness in Concord. He still wrestles occasionally in independent cars and was scheduled to compete in a unique boxer versus wrestler match against cruiserweight boxer Rocky Scarfona on February 18th in Hickory, North Carolina. <clears throat> and of course, the picture they use in the key is from his 1988 run with his hair. So, yeah, that was just so sad with the key and his Man, wife. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And he, co- I mean, he shows up in NWA and does the referee gig for uh, Russell War. 
And then later on in the year, he's in AWA. So, I mean, he was. Yeah, he looked good at WrestleMore, too. Good yeah. tan, looked jacked. Yeah, he was around, but yeah. That's he... a fucked up thing to say, though, on my end, because, like, here's this guy who I only ever saw massively on steroids. And then when he got off him, it's like, oh, he looks like shit. And then, like, he gets back on. I'm like, yeah, he's cool again. And <laughs> that's, that's unfortunately the uh just how wrestling will control someone's mind when they watch it like we watched it and you like automatically you just think oh well they're not working out as much or they don't look as good because we have that he-man fucking vision in our brain and what they're supposed to look like but yeah. i will say a lot of his allure went away when he just didn't look the part like he used to yeah the hair too made him different but yeah the hair you can't be a russian and have hair for christ's sake no the crusher mm-hmm. The rest Not in the 80s. No. The Crusher, the rest of Milwaukee famous, also known as Rachel Lasowski, currently works part-time for WF as a marketing representative doing television with radio promo- and radio promotions when the Federation appears in the Milwaukee area. Crusher also claims he never formally announced his retirement and says he can still beat anyone who wants to take him on. Crusher and his wife, Faye, now reside in both Milwaukee and Tampa. Huh. I didn't know any of that, really. The Crusher. And then Tijo Khan. Yeah. Citing severe management problems with Sheikha Nano KC <laughs> during his recent AWA, Khan is on his own. He and tag partner Soldat Yusinov are negotiating the rest in the, Cal- in the Calgary area, but Stampede officials reported that Khan had too many demands. <laughs> Today, Khan is competing in the Intercontinental Wrestling Association, an independent organization operating out of Minneapolis. Too many demands. Yeah, can you imagine going going from Paul Jones to uh, Mark Goline to Sheik Adnan LKC's manager? <laughs> what a trajectory. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So there's <clears throat> where are they now? Now our capsule profile pinup is of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Just making his return to the NWA and they have the career synopsis of him, so there's that. All right, news from the wrestling capitals. And we begin with Binghamton, New York, from wrestling Twitter's old Denny Burkholder. Ah, oh, see? Yeah, he sent a report in. He had Brutus Beefcake uh, against Rick Rude, where uh, Brutus won the match. Andre over Jake Roberts by DQ. Hart's Foundation went to a draw with the Rougeos. Ron Bass over Tito Santana. Kurt Henning over Paul Roma. The Bushwhackers over the, Bol- over the Bolsheviks. And Tim Horner over Bear Horowitz. So there's your Binghamton show. Then we have this one from Memphis, Tennessee, from Jeff Peters. Sid Vicious against Robert Fuller in a loser leave towel match. I'll read the description for this one. In this loser leave towel match, the most the powerful Vicious dominated Fuller most of the way. Then Fuller's valet Sylvia did something similar to what Elizabeth did at SummerSlam '88. She got up on the ring apron and peeled off most of her clothing until she was wearing only a tank top and skimpy shorts. As Vicious was staring at her, Fuller attacked it from behind with a foreign object and scored the pin. <laughs> Other results, Shogun and Samurai, which is uh, Shin Yashimoto and Shin Sasaki, beat Scott Steiner and Todd Morton. Listen to this card, folks. Jeff Jarrett and Tracy Smothers beat Frankie the Thumper Lancaster and Jimmy Golden by DQ. Jerry Lawler and Wendell Cooley defeated Rick Morton and Dutch Mantel. In our main event, or last match on this card... <laughs> Bill Dundee, Adrian Street, Miss Linda defeated Beauty, Terry Garvin, The Beast, Mark Gulleen, and Downtown Bruno. Yeah, that's a show I'd want to go to. (laughs) 
What a fun sounding show that was. And Sid's losing the Lose Leave Town match here because uh, he's getting ready to go on to different things. So there's that. All right, Milwaukee, Wisconsin from Andy Abramson. NWA World Heavyweight title. Ric Flair against Rick Steiner. Uh, Flair uh, hit Steiner from behind, got his legs on the ropes, and pinned Steiner clean with his feet on the ropes. So there's that. Dick Murdoch won a Buckhouse Stampede. Road Warrior Animal beat Dusty Rose by DQ. Lex Luger and Bam Bam Bigelow beat Abdul the Butcher and Barry Windham. Hell yeah. The Texas Broncos, Dustin Rhodes and Kim the Wind, defeated the Commandos, Grizzly Boone and Ray Candy. Junkyard Dog over the Russian Assassin, and Bobby Fulton went to a draw with Randy Rose. Okay, that's the show I want to go to now. I've changed my mind. Yeah, that's <laughs> a go. And then we had Bassett, Virginia from Steve Butler, where Eddie Gilbert and Kendall Wyndham was the main match on this show. Uh, Gilbert uh, pinned Wyndham with a sunset flip. Uh, they wrestled, star wrestled scientifically, but their actions became more rougher as time went on. As Kendall's getting ready to turn heel. The rest of this show, Ron Simmons over Grizzly Boone. Steve Casey, or Stephen Casey, Stephen Dane, over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. Misty Blue and Hailey Morgan over Cat LaRue and Linda Dallas. Fantastic over Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda by DQ. And Larry Zabisco and Brad Anderson, Zan Panzer, something for Al Perez, beat Dustin Rhodes and Curtis Thompson. What a B show that is. <laughs> Holy shit, what a weird fucking show. The only one I want to watch is uh, Grizzly Boone and Ron Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so uh, that's pretty crazy. I wonder what the draw was there. It's a high school, it was a high school show. I'm, I know that. So Still, though, I'm intrigued to see if they got over 500. Yeah. All right, Matt Brock, our dear friend, in his plain speaking section, and th- there's one thing here I want to read off of this because this this is something that could not be printed in today's world. So get ready. I, I uh, listen discretion is advised. Tokyo, Japan, Reds versus Japs. That's the big talk in this town. Ever since word got out that some Japanese wrestling officials are talking with the amateur wrestling bigwigs over in Rusky Land about a series of matches between top stars from both countries. It'll be held in Tokyo, probably during May or June, although I'm not sure which, which wrestlers be involved. The interesting thing about this is that professional wrestling doesn't exist in Russia. They're amateur wrestlers among the best in the world, and you're not going to find any Rick Flair's or Hulk Hogan's walking through the Red Square. That's when Nikita Koloff, Ivan Koloff, and the Russian Assassins and all others were sent over here. So if it's the Japanese pros against the Russian Greco-Romans, it'll be interesting to see what rules the matches are conducted under. One thing's for sure, the commies don't give in to anyone. But I can't see too many Japanese knocking the doors down to watch Antonio Noki and Tetsu Fujinami go at a Greco-Roman style against some unknown Russian. More on this next month. I have to contact my network of sources to find out what's really going on. I guarantee you, though, that this thing has actually worked out. I'll be there. <laughs> Man, old-ass Matt Brock is completely off on what they would draw, hey? <laughs> <laughs> through the most crowd of anybody that entire year. And, and then he drops the hard J to start the whole fucking game. Good Lord. And then we get the, we get the Ruskies and Reds and Commies. <laughs> 1989, everybody. <laughs> All right. He's himself again. Terry Taylor dumps the weasel and the rooster by Bob Smith. 
Terry Taylor was one of the top young talents of wrestling, but Bobby Heenan brainwashed him into believing he could never make it on his own. After months of abuse, Taylor broke away from the brain and proved the Red Rooster will be anybody's fool anymore. And basically, the article goes through Terry's, uh, you know, his road to the WWF, um, what happened, uh, you know, his siding with Heenan, becoming the Red Rooster, you know, how that played out, this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, it's got good pictures and stuff like that. And uh, at the end, of the, the, the thing says, Welcome back, Terry Taylor. You've been gone too long. Well, little does Bob Smith know that Terry Taylor's going to become even more the Red Rooster as the year goes along. <laughs> yeah. So, so Terry Taylor, a guy that you watched, you know, in UWF and World Class and, you know, NWA, and you see him go to the WWF and you see him being portrayed as a Red Rooster. What were your thoughts on that? I was okay. so fucking – well, I was mad anyway because, like, when he showed up, I was so excited because I was a big Terry Taylor fan, both good guy and bad guy Terry Taylor. And then when the the first interview fucking Heenan does, he's like, oh, he's limited, limited speed, limited strength. He's just a limited wrestler, but I think I'll make him a star. I was like, holy shit, he sucks. Like, he's way better than limited. But, like, I knew that he was fucked from the start when they did those kind of things. And, like, I remember the only time I was ever excited for him there was his debut where he beat the shit out of Sam Houston in a tag team match, returned on him. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, heel Terry Taylor in WWF. And it was all over from there. And then when he turned, he he turned good on Brooklyn Brawler. <laughs> it's like, oh God, what good could come of this when the Brooklyn Brawler beats the shit out of you? Terry Taylor's like the perfect example of, of, of a guy, and you know, which I brought up recently on, on Twitter about how you know WWF has done this shit forever. You know, where they would take these guys that come in from different promotions, they tore them down, and rebuilt them in their way. They've always been like that. They always, you know, w- the way that you did before is not the right way. We you, you, we have to do it our way. You know? It's always been like that. Yeah, there have well, been, there, there been the exceptions, but it's always it, been like that. Yeah, it didn't work, though, with Terry. Oh, no. <laughs> it no. didn't work with Barry Windham. It didn't really work with Arden Tully. Like, none of these guys ended up drawing the money. Like, people say that Dusty got over. Dusty didn't fucking get over. Like, Dusty got over to a degree where people liked the polka dots. But, like, he wore polka dots in the 70s anyway. Like, it's not – that's another thing that pisses me off where they're like, oh, well, we just thought off the top of our head polka dots. He fucking wore polka dots. Like, I was never offended by the polka dots. I was more offended with his portrayal of, of just, like – like cleaning a shitty toilet, just the the pizza man and stuff like that. I was like, what the fuck are they doing with Dusty? <laughs> and now in hindsight, okay, he's every man that's that speaks to the common man. That's great. But man, outside of like the matches with Honky, DiBiase, Boss Man were good, but I don't know. It just they never got the Dusty. In order to be Dusty, has to be constantly under duress or attacked like what what heavy angles did they do with dusty there the, the best one was the last thing they did where uh dibiase fucking juice dustin with the fucking chair and virgil at ringside and then like dusty's just hovering over his bloody son who's like 19 at the time and like i remember thinking man finally that's a heavy dusty angle yeah and like then he dude the, his last fucking 30 matches in wbf <laughs> 
Virgil beats him in like less than 30 seconds. Yeah. You got to love the, the, the symbolism behind Virgil beating Dusty Rhodes in 30 seconds on all his final matches. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hulk Hogan admits, I love Elizabeth like a sister. Randy Savage loves Elizabeth. Hulk Hogan loves Elizabeth too. Well, not the way the Macho Man thinks he loves her. This misunderstanding between those two most popular wrestlers has caused an immutable riff. It's about to run to one of the greatest feuds ever by Bill After. How Randy Savage receives Hulk Hogan, a two-line play. The scene is an arena in Huntsville, Alabama. There's a large crowd of fans watching as a tall, muscular man with long hair, balding near the front, stands on a platform with a beautiful brunette, his manager. He has a look of intensity in his face and shows great interest as he listens to a conversation between two men, Hulk Hogan and Brother Love, who are standing beside him. There's tremendous tension and emotion in their steadily rising voices. Brother Love. There is no love in the air between Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and Elizabeth. Hulk Hogan. I love Elizabeth. Fade to black. Paranoia. Thy name is Randy Savage. Insensitivity. Insensitivity. Thy name is Hulk Hogan. How else can one explain the bad fans of Sir Swing Doeff champion and the former champion over the past several months? Savage, a jealous man who is overprotective of his loving manager. Elizabeth hears only what he wants to hear. When Hogan said, I love Elizabeth like a sister, all Savage's jealous ears heard was, I love Elizabeth. The rest was just a blur. By the time Hogan said, like a sister, Savage is already in another world plotting ways to stave off this perceived threat to what he considers his own. But don't hold Hogan blameless. It doesn't take much perception to realize that Savage is a jealous kind and must be handled with kid gloves when dealing with Elizabeth. Is it really necessary for Hogan to kiss and hug Elizabeth and lift her upon his shoulders? Is it really necessary for him to bring her to ringside for his matches? Holster always got along well without her. It would have been so easy for Hogan Savage Elizabeth to coexist peacefully. They could have been one of the greatest alliances ever. A tattoo too powerful to overcome. Each man feeding off the other's encouragement in singles matches. But immaturity has torn them apart and they have nobody to blame but themselves. The only faultless person in this situation is Elizabeth. She has handled a difficult position with such poise, grace, and diplomacy. When asked for the Royal Rumble who she would root for if Hogan and Savage squared off, she says, I'm hoping it doesn't happen. When it did happen, Alyssa quickly ran to the ring and diffused an explosive crisis. When Hogan asked her for a kiss, she offered him a friendly peck on the cheek while making it clear her true feelings are for Savage. When Savage is in trouble, she calls for Hogan. When Hogan's in trouble, she calls for Savage. Caught in the middle, a situation a woman with Elizabeth's beauty has most likely been in many times before. She's done everything possible to keep the mega powers together. The ironic part of this is that Hogan's love for Elizabeth is purely innocent. Hogan is married with a year-old baby girl. He's very happy with the lifestyle he's outside the ring and has no desire to destroy it by having a messy and public affair with Elizabeth. Of course, Hogan is an outgoing person. He likes to display his emotions and shows affection for others. Thus, his actions towards Elizabeth can be and often are wrongly perceived when no slight is intended. And then it continues on and on and on and on. And this is a wrestling tragedy, one that promises to play out in more than one act. The thing about this whole article here that Gather says is after you know puts out his marriage and child on Front Street there. You know? Yeah, but I mentioned Nicholas and or maybe not. I don't know. No, he was I, not I, mentioning anything about a family in this era. Wasn't he? No, <laughs> no, not in eighty nine. No. Not not on TV. Oh, well there you go. Yeah, I remember he mentioned his parents though. Yeah, that's his parents. But, but nothing about a wife and, and kid. No. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just didn't really interest me. Like, I remember when they did the even breakup, like, <laughs> with Elizabeth. I don't, yeah. That kind of soap opera shit I didn't care about at my age at the time. So I was just like, eh. Nah, whatever. It was silly, especially the once you you know you, when you watch the uh, the main event, you know if you watched it live like I did and saw that whole bullshit where uh, they cut back there and they weren't ready. I mean that that was like even, <laughs> even me who is almost ten years old, like wow, that's Liz Bush, took a good Bush bump league. that night. That's Bush League, yeah, she did. Yeah, it was a crazy bump she took from Macho Man and like. I don't know. I, I, I like Elizabeth, but I was never like, I was like, oh, Elizabeth. That's eh, whatever. I That match, though, F me. Like, I don't matter. Like, that match, that's still, like, the biggest drawing WrestleMania of all time. It was like, a huge, huge business. Yeah, like, Macho and Hogan did insane business. Like, House, Bundy. House show business was huge, too. Big time. Yeah, because Bundy buried, like, Bundy buried Macho Man has never drawn with Hogan. Macho Man drew huge with Hogan. He, yeah, so, he did. I mean, the house show business itself, you know, the mania, the buy rate. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. We, we can't we can't deny what you know how you know great that was for business. Absolutely. Can't. Yeah, like they drew an eighty six, and then they drew an eighty nine. Yeah. So it's absolutely. like good for them. They drew as a tag team. So like I, even if I'm not into the storyline, people clearly were. So good for them. Now, I know a storyline you are into. Rick Steiner, wrestling's new Dusty Rose. Rick Steiner and Dusty Rose are far apart in appearance as possible, but they have much in common. The American Dream has left the NWA, but his legacy lives on. Now the Dollface Gremlin is carrying the torch of Dusty's NWA campaigns by Craig Peters. So Craig goes into the story, talks about Dusty Rose and how he turned babyface in 74 with Gary Hart. Comparing that with how Rick Steiner turned babyface with Kevin Sullivan and all that stuff. And they're talking about, you know, all the similarities going on there and how, you know, Steiner and Dusty but became, you know, this people's babyface and all that stuff. And it's a really good article, got pictures, you know, of Rick, you know, in, in matches against the Varsity Club and Road Warriors. And yeah, you watch late 88, 89. We talked about this before. I mean, Rick Steiner got over so huge organically in that character that there's no telling what they could have done with him if they would have kept it up. Yeah, they cooled it off so fast. George it's Scott. Sad. Yeah, it's sad to see the title win at Starcade and then no one giving a shit by February or January, whatever, whatever the next pay-per-view was, Chi-Town, Mumble or whatever. I just was very shocked by how much they cooled him off and Obviously, they didn't put any heat on the match after he won the belt. So it's like, now what? And even you have Flair pinning him. It's just a whole series of things where, thank God for Scotty in 1989, because Rick was still part of the whole thing. But, like, Rick was not featured anymore like he used to be. So it's it's good that Scott came in and they became one of the best tag teams of all time. But singles Rick was fun, man. I, I liked him. And I thought, like you said, the Varsity Club, one of the better build-ups to a, a babyface turn you'll ever see. And I actually watched when they turned on him for the first time in a long time the other week. And holy shit, they did that well. Oh, yeah. They beat the shit out of him and, like, just ripped his clothes off and beat the fuck out of him. And, like, it was legit. Doc and Steiner's brawling ringside for that. 
And then they brought that back later when they had that match at Clash 19. So, like, yeah, they're, they're, Doc and Steiner can brawl like crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, Rick Morton's in the hot seat. Too bad fans don't understand. And he's talking to David Rosenbaum. And it's about, you know, him turning heel in Memphis. Uh, turning heel in Jerry Lawler. He's got a beard going here. He's holding his thumbs down, you know, wearing a Rock and Roll Express shirt. Some got the cool. snarl on his face, I'm sure. Yeah, yes. I remember that. Yeah, he said, I got something to prove right now. I'm about to show everybody I'm one of the greatest singles wrestlers, not just half of a great tag team. And he says, all I need to do is get my hands on Lawler. I'm going to make him pay for all the lies he's told. I'll prove he's got half the, he hasn't got half the talent I have. It's just about how Lawler always goes around bragging that he was the founder of the Express. He's full of it. He's got nothing to do with our success at all. So what... You know, the whole angle, you know, going into it is like Lawler created the Rock and Roll Express. And and Morton's pissed off that Lawler's out there saying that, which was true. He created the Rock and Roll Express, but it was the Rock and Roll Express that became the stars. He just created the gimmick. And, yeah. uh, and, and yeah. most importantly, every great heel ever has had a beard. Like, except for Flair. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think, like... I, when Ricky grew the beard, he may as well turn heel before he turned heel. When Shawn Michaels grew a beard in 88 Memphis, heel. is like he looked so cool, like with that little scruff. I was like, oh, man, heel. Macho Man, beard. Ted DiBiase, beard. One Man Gang, beard. It's going on and on. Like MGF needs to grow a beard, clearly. They, bearded heels, man. That's That's the way to go. Yeah, and Ricky did a great job with his presentation when he turned heel and he grew that beard because he looked so like he looked like a dickhead in that magazine <laughs> in a cool way though. Yeah, and and he was and he, he was the introduction of Master Paint because he came into Memphis because Ricky met him at the State Penitentiary in Atlanta <laughs> and brought and brought him into Memphis and of course Master Get Pain, the fuck being the Undertaker. So, That's the so story. Dane Douglas, Lord Humongous thing going on. It's the story, yeah, that that he met him at the Atlanta Penitentiary, and he came, to, he called him in in the Memphis and team with Dutch Mantel. Who's crazy as when I was a kid in '89, I started reading the Master of Pain in the magazines. I didn't know what he looked like. I had no idea. Then when Mean Mark Callis debuted, I didn't even realize it then. And then the magazines told me, but like I didn't know. And it was just like when Meemar Callis debuted in 1990 NWA, oh, my God, where did this guy come from? He's awesome. He's so impressive. He can do leapfrogs and leg drops and drop kicks off the top and walk the top ropes and the yeah. big leaping clothesline. Like, oh, man, how, what the hell? How could they not make him a bigger star? It's... Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right. Wrestling's unhappiest world champions. Bad days for bad company. No. Pat Tanaka, Paul Diamond, the AWA World Tag Team Champions for nearly a year, but just holding the belts isn't good enough for them. They swear that unless the AWA bows to their demands, people, especially their opponents, will pay. And it, it talks about them wrestling Mondo and Chavo in Las Vegas. And says, why are we getting better competition? Bart back company's manager, Diamond Dallas Page, accompanied as usual by a pair of curvaceous diamond dolls. It's always <laughs> the Guerreros, the Top Guns. If it's not, it's a couple of bums that we beat tonight. Hey, it's honor only good as contenders we destroy. 11 months as champions, and all we have to show for are a couple of tarnished old belts. I got two unhappy champions on my hands, very unhappy, and so am I. 
And it talks about, you know, how they, you know, they wrestle the same people all the time and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, at this point in time, Bad Company was kind of, I mean, they were stuck in a bad spot because they had real no competition. Ricky Rice and Derek Diggs hadn't been created as the Top Guns just yet. I mean, they, yeah, they have because they, they wrestle Super Clash. But, I mean, they're not established as a top contending team, really. And, and Derek came in because the one guy left. Yeah, John Paul. So, it, 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 yeah, I mean, it just... Oh, you'll like this, though. Uh, it's time for the ADB to wind up, claims Page. In addition to our financial demands, there are several other items we must have in 1989. Failure to meet these ultimatums could result in my men taking their frustrations out on these untalented fools they keep throwing against us. One of Page's demands is that the other bad company, Stampede's Brian Pillman and Bruce Hart, be imported to the AWA for a battle for the exclusive right to the name. Similar to what's going on in the NWA with the Midnight Express. We're the real bad company, Steve Tanaka. Those Canuck buffoons stole the name from us. As world champions, they should come down here to meet us, too. No way I'm freezing my butt off in Calgary. We're demanding we wrestle the Southern score once and for all. Just imagine if we would have got that one. Oh, Paul Diamond wanted it. I heard an interview with him where he's like, dude, we were begging to wrestle the other bad company. And like that would have been sick, especially in 1989. Come on. Pillman against Diamond and Tanaka in 1989. Oof. Eh. Yeah, all those guys should have been in the NWA at the same time. Sure. Yeah, Diamond and Tanaka, looking back on it, they were just so skilled. Pat Tanaka was born in the wrong decade. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Came way too soon. All right, next we get mm-hmm. a one-on-one, which is Ray Flair and J.J. Dillon, which is... These are all completely made up, but it's funny that they got this thing where they're explaining why Flair and JJ broke up. And this is what Flair said. You've been an albatross around my neck for years. Who needs you? Certainly I don't. I'm the greatest wrestler this sport's ever known. JJ said, I had enough of your excuses and losing ways, Rick. For years, I protected you. I'm the reason you've been able to hold on to that title for so long. And it just goes into this whole thing. I mean, it is so fake, but it's hilarious. Yeah, I remember when, uh, I remember back when RVD called them out for these things. <laughs> He's like, uh-uh, I'm going to beat you for the title. Uh-uh, yeah, huh, uh-uh. <laughs> Just like fight back and forth, two pictures looking like, at each other in the match. Like, can you imagine Ric Flair saying this about Ronnie Garvin? He called him, you're, for that blue-collar slug, Ronnie Garvin. Yeah, that's kind of like the comic book aspect of the way they would have verbiage in these magazines. I appreciate it for what it is, but it's kind of lame. Yeah, it is. So there's that. All right, let's close it out with the ratings. All right, so we have our official roll call of champions. There's always a highlight of the Inside Wrestling Magazine. All California Championship Wrestling Champion, Chavo Guerrero. All California Tag Team Champions, Peter Maivia Jr. and Mondo Guerrero. All Asian Tag Team Champions, Toshiko Kawada and Sansen Fuyuki. All Japan International Champion, Jumbo Suartato. <laughs> All Japan International Tag Champions, Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy. All Japan Junior Champion, Mighty Inouye. All Japan United National Champion, Stan Hansen. All Japan Women's Champion, Held Up. All Japan Women's, that's a world champion. All Japan Women's Champion, Mika Komatsu. 
Ultimate Women's World Tag Champions, Mika Kamatsu and Yumi Ogura. AWA TV Champion, Greg Gagne. AWA World Women's Champion, Wendy Richter. AWA World Heavyweight Champion, Fake It. AWA World Tag Titles, Bad Company. British Commonwealth Champion, Chris Benoit. Continental Heavyweight Champion, Dr. Tom Pritchard. Continental Tag Champions, Jerry Stubbs and the Dirty White Boy. U.S. Junior Heavyweight Champion, Danny Davis. CWA Champion, Dutch Mantel. CWA Tag Champions, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden. Florida Championship Wrestling Champion, Mike Graham. Florida Championship Wrestling Junior Heavyweight Champion, Jimmy Backlund. Florida Championship Wrestling Tag Champions, Johnny Ace and the Terminator and the Lauren Ice Brothers. IWGP Champions, Tetsumi Fujinami. IWGP International Tag Champions, Ricky Toshu Masaino. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Shiro Koshinaka. NWA World Tech Six-Man Tag Champions, The Road Warriors, and Tenyo Grichiro. World TV Champion, Rick Steiner. World Heavyweight Champion, Rick Flair. National Wrestling Federation Champion, Jules Strombow. Pacific Northwest Champion, Top Gun, Dave Sierra. Pacific Northwest Tag Champion, Southern Rockers. PWF Champion, Stan Anson. PWF Tag Champions, Jumbo Sharuda and Yoshiaki Yatsu. Stampede North America Champion, Don Morocco. Stampede International Tag Team Champions, Muckin Singh and Vulcan Singh, Gary Albright. U.S. Heavyweight Champion, Barry Windham. U.S. Tag Champions, Kevin Sullivan and Dr. Steve Williams. World Class Champion, Jerry Lawler. World Class Light Heavyweight Champion, Eric Embry. World Class Tag Champions, the Samoan SWAT Team. Texas Heavyweight Champion, Iceman King Parsons. Caribbean Heavyweight Champion, Jason the Terrible. Caribbean Tag Team Champions, Miguel Perez Jr. and Huracan Castillo Jr. WC Jr. Heavyweight Champion, Ricky Santana. WC North America Champion, Abdul the Butcher. Puerto Rico Champion, Vacant. WC Tag Champions, the unlikely team of Dan Crawford and Tama of the Islanders. They were good. Oh, the God, yeah. Universal Champion, Carlos Colon. Women's Champion, Wendy Richter. Intercontinental Champion, Ultimate Warrior. WF Champion, Randy Savage. WF Tag Champions, Demolition. WF Women's Champion, Rocket Robin. And WF Women's Tag Team Champions, The Glamour Girls. Period ending January 31st, 1989. Yeah, those were always crazy. <clears throat> they were You knew everything that was going on everywhere. And it was a fun little tool, but my God, there was so much. Yeah, you knew who all the champions were every every month of all the like the major territories. Yeah, and they got to Japan on there. I remember being so confused by all the Japanese stuff and the different title names, why some people held three titles at once. Yeah, <laughs> but it was I like that. It's good to have it. I mean, if every magazine has to be different from the other ones, that's a good way to make it different. Oh yeah, absolutely. Roll call of champions. All right, we got the tag teams. The Road Warriors, number one. Demolition, number two. Midnight Express, number three. The Powers of Pain, number four. Bad Company, Tanaka and Diamond, number five. Dr. Death and Kevin Sullivan, number six. Someone Swanton Team, number seven. Dennis Conjure and Randy Rose, number eight. Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden, number nine. Tilly Blanchard and Arn Anderson, number ten. Jerry Stubbs, Dirty Webboy, eleven. The Rougeaus, twelfth. Falcon and Muckin Sing, thirteenth. Dan Crawford and Tom, fourteenth. And the Terminator and Johnny Ace, 15th. It's my boy. I, I said earlier, Stubbs and Anthony. See, they were a big team then. I'd never even seen them wrestle at the time, but I remember they were always in the magazines. And Muckin' and Buckin' Sing. It was uh, Mike Shaw and fucking Gary Albright. So there you go. Yeah. It's always funny because I always thought Buckin' Sing was way smaller than Muckin', than Muckin' Sing, but he was way bigger, actually. All right. Any guess on who the number one most hated wrestler was? Rick Flair. Nope. 
He's number two. Randy Savage. He's not hated yet. Uh, I don't know. Big Boss Man, number one. Uh, I forgot. And, of course, Hogan is most popular. Uh, Flair and Wyndham, Akeem, Andre, Rotundo, Dr. Death, Bad News, Ricky Morton, Iceman, Kevin Sullivan, Colonel DeBeers, Rick Rude, Gina Bravo, and Jerry Lawler. That's your 15. Hayden, Hogan, Savage, Sting, Warrior, Rick Steiner, Luger, Steamboat, Duggan, Dusty, Carey, Lawler, Jeff Jarrett, Eddie Gilbert, Sartre Slaughter, and Hercules Hernandez, the number 15. That's the most popular. Yeah, I always wish Herc's babyface turn went better. All right, we're gonna. You know how we always do. We do. Uh, you know, you'd like to do the the matchups of the territories. Well, we got the three majors here. We got the NWA, the AWA, and WF. So we're gonna do three way dances. All right, your number fifteen contenders: Abdul the Butcher versus Brad Rangans versus the Honky Tonk Man. Abby. <laughs> <laughs> the fourteen contenders: Kendall Wyndham, Chavo Guerrero, and King Haku. Ugh, Haku, I guess. All right. Your thirteenth, Kevin Sullivan, Ricky Rice, and Terry Taylor. <laughs> well, I would pick Terry if he was in the NWA. I gotta go with Sullivan. There you go. <laughs> Number twelve, Doctor Death, Mondo Guerrero, and Ted DiBiase. Doc. Williams and DiBiase in the same pairing. How about that? Yeah, that's a good match, especially in '89. All right, number eleven, Butch Reed, Paul Diamond, and Big John Stud. <laughs> I gotta go with Big John Stud, man. He's the giant. <laughs> All right, number 10, Michael Hayes, Pat Tanaka, and Kurt Henning. At that time, Michael Hayes. All right. Number nine, Mike Rotunda, Colonel DeBeers, and Hacksaw Duggan. Duggan. Number eight, JYD, Larry Zabisco, or Andre. Got to go with Andre. All right. Number seven, Lex Luger, Iron Sheik, or Bad News Brown. Luger. Number six, Rick Steiner. Sardis Slaughter or Greg Namor Valentine? Steiner. Number five, Eddie Gilbert, Manny Fernandez, or Akeem? <laughs> Gotta go with fucking Manny, man. And, and this is funny because this is the one thing I would not have done in the 80s because three-way dances didn't exist. So I, it's know, but, I know, but it's the <laughs> no, no, I love No, it's a good concept because they didn't exist. So I literally, even as a little kid, my imagination never went there because I wouldn't even have thought of the concept. So this is this is fun to do. Then there's this one, the number four ranked contenders. Sting, Wahoo McDaniel, and Hulk Hogan. Hogan, because he never lost back then, but that'd be a hell of a deal. <laughs> All right, your number three contenders. Ricky Steamboat, Don Morocco, and the big boss man. Boss man. Number two contenders. Barry Wyndham, Carrie Von Eric, and the Ultimate Warrior. Foxy, I love Wyndham, the Warrior. He was always the one in those days. But you never ever saw him lose. He just destroyed everyone. So you you, you couldn't you couldn't picture Barry Windham pinning him. So you got to go with Ultimate Warrior. And then Ric Flair, Greg Gagne, and Randy Savage. <laughs> Greg Gagne, get the fuck out of here! Uh, I'm gonna go with Randy Savage and eight. <laughs> All right. And top fifteen. Number fifteen, Tom Pritchard. Number fourteen, Don Morocco. Number 13, Rick Steiner. Number 13, Eric Embry. Number 12, excuse me, Eric Embry. Number 11, Ricky Steamboat. Number 10, Big Boss Man. Number 9, Kerry Von Eric. Number 8, Lex Luger. Number 7, Ultimate Warrior. Number 6, Sting. Number 5, Barry Windham. Number 4, Hulk Hogan. Number 3, Jerry Lawler. 
Number two, Ric Flair. Number one, Randy Savage. So there's your official ratings for January 31st, 1989. So any thoughts on uh, January 1989 and wrestling before we go? It was – there was a lot of good stuff happening when NWA was in shambles. WWF was pretty exciting. Uh, Big John Studd won the Royal Rumble. (laughs) Take that as you will. But Demolition fought each other that year, which is cool. The Royal Rumble. And then all the continent, all the territories are kind of catching a lot of steam. Portland, PWF, Memphis. All in all, a good start to what ended up being a pretty red hot year by the end of the year. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, that is it for us this month. Uh, Rob will be picking the magazine for the next show, so looking forward to that. Always a, a yeah. good time when he picks out the magazines, because you never know what you can get with, with Rob Naylor. You got, <laughs> it's it's going to be always a wild card, yes. so it's always fun. But, yes, we'll be back next month for Cover to Cover. So, for Rob, this is Chris, and so long from the Peach State of Georgia.